You know, we were on the Lord's Prayer, and we finished that two weeks ago. And uh, this is what I call kind of a standalone sermon. It's not in a series. And uh, the title of this is The Dividing Line. And um, I think that regardless of what point you start from, most religious discussions, they boil down to this one issue. Where's the dividing line? Where is the dividing line? You know, where's the dividing line between you and me? Where's the dividing line between truth and error? Where's the dividing line between what is essential and what's not? Where's the dividing line between salvation and loss of salvation? Where is that dividing line? And as you studied last week, where is the dividing line between sheep and goats? You know, there's a dividing line there. Now, I think we like to dance around this issue because the trend in our society is to be inclusive or to be tolerant or to be open-minded. Now, for an example, our education system in many places is moving toward a, a position where there is no pass or no fail. In other words, there's no dividing line there, but rather there's various levels of maturity or various le levels of potential, or uh, different levels of ability. And I think the same is true for our moral standards in our society. You know, we, um, we are loath, or we're reluctant, or we're unwilling, I should say, to say that someone is evil or bad, and what they do is evil or bad. We don't want to say that, because our society says that's wrong. We can't talk to, about people that way. Instead, we want to describe their environment as disadvantaged. You know, you've heard that, that term before. Or um, you want to seek to, to blame society um, as a whole for the evil of one person. We want to blame everyone for what one person is doing. And it seems like the worst thing um, to be in our world today is to be intolerant or to be um, judgmental or to be critical. That seems like that's a bad thing in our world today because this means that you have to set upon a dividing line from which you're making value judgments. When you do something like that, you have to make a judgment somewhere. So there's a dividing line and you have to use that. You know, and that's really unacceptable because the new mantra for our society brought to you by the woke tribe or wokeism you know, is that we must all strive to accept everyone and everything. You know, that's what the world is telling us to do. Well, this really doesn't sit well for Christians um, because our entire faith system is based on crucial judgments and choices, you know, where we decide one way or the other or one fact over another or one truth over another. In an article in Vigil Magazine, Dr. Uh, Hugo McCord is his name. He highlighted this very issue when he talked about the dividing line um, that is constantly drawn between God's people and others throughout the Bible. You know, over and over and over again, God, he has, he's compelled his people to use um, the free will that they've been given in order to make decisions you know, um, concerning himself and concerning his will. 
And this morning, I'd like to briefly review some of these lines, you know, as they've been established throughout history, and then look at some modern day conclusions in our study as well. So let's start off with the dividing line in history. Let's look at that just for a moment here. First of all, I'd like to say that whether a person agrees or not, likes it or not, um, finds it fair or not, you know, that's not the point here. The point is that the Bible does draw dividing lines and ask people to line up on one side or the other. You see, and it has done this from the very beginning. There's nothing wrong um, in seeing it that way. For an example, Adam had to choose, you know, to eat the fruit or not. Noah had to choose, you know, to build the boat or stay on dry land. The dividing line, Abraham had to go to Canaan or stay home. Um, Moses had to face Pharaoh or stay home. Um, or remain in hiding, in other words. Esther had to speak up or remain silent. Joseph had to take Mary as his wife or divorce her. Matthew had to follow Jesus or stay in the tax booth. And even Jesus had to go to the cross or return to Nazareth where he began his earthly life. Listen, God draws a line in the sand for each and every person sooner or later. There's a line drawn in, and he asked them to stand with him or reject him by their choice. We have a choice there. There is a dividing line there. And as I said before, this principle or this scenario is repeated over and over and over and over, you know, in the scriptures. Now, the people that I've just mentioned and their choices, they were special cases. I agree to that. I, I'll give you that. Um, because they were asked to serve God um, and his purpose in special ways. And so their dividing line, their, their dividing lines, they were unique to their situations and to God's call. You know, after all, God doesn't call everyone to build an ark. But I'm sure if he were to call Horace or Joe, they could get the job done, you know. Or he doesn't call everyone to be the parent of the Messiah. You know, he doesn't do that. These were special one-time choices for these people, a one-time dividing line. However, however, there's another dividing line that appears over and over and over again, and it's not just for leaders, and it's not just for prophets, but it's for everyone. It's for you and me. It's for everyone on the face of the earth. Understand this, that the basic dividing line has always served to separate those who were saved from those who were lost. That's the basic dividing line. Those who were accepted by God and those who were rejected by him. Now you could say that this is, this bottom line is, this is the bottom line as far as dividing lines go. This is where the rubber meets the road, you know, the Bible refers to this essential dividing line as baptism, okay? So let's look at the dividing line of baptism here. From the very earliest of times, when God began to communicate with man, you know, concerning salvation, we're talking about the time of Noah here, to the last communication about his salvation, we're talking about the time of Jesus, 
baptism in one form or the other has served as the physical and historical dividing line between being saved or being lost. Allow me to give you some examples here. First of all, let's look at Noah's baptism. Noah's baptism. In 1 Peter 3, verses 20 and 21, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Now, I want you to note right here that Peter compares um, the salvation of Noah and his family, you know, through the watery flood to the baptism that believers received in his day. He's making the comparison right here. And his point here is this, that the dividing line between life and death for Noah, just like Christians of Peter's day, was the water. That was the dividing line there. For Noah, those who were saved were above the water in the boat. You know, the unsaved were drowned. Um, for Peter... Those who were saved had their consciences cleansed by the water of baptism. The unsaved remain in their guilt and their condemnation. Regardless of the century, whichever century you want to go to, regardless of the century here, water was the dividing line between saved and unsaved. Something you can draw from that. One was baptism through the flood. The other was baptism by immersion. You know, both produced salvation for, the, for their recipients then. And they were understood that way by those people. One of the things that we need to understand here. Another example is the Israelites' baptism. The Israelites' baptism. Now, the Israelites, you know, as they escaped Egyptian bondage here, they didn't consider themselves saved until they passed through the parted waters of the sea. Um, before they passed through these parted waters, they were very afraid of death. You see, and in Exodus 14 and verses 10 through 12 says this, As Pharaoh approached, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were coming after them. And they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is this because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Um, why have you dealt with us in this way? bringing us out of Egypt. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For, if, for it would have um, been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, I want you to especially take note of Moses' answer to them regarding the dividing line of their salvation. Look at verse 13. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will perform for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again, ever. <laughs> Folks, this is the experience right here that Paul is referring to when he talks about the Israelites being baptized into Moses. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2 says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea and they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. You know, here, Paul, he compares the definitive point where the Israelites were saved from the Egyptians 
you know, baptism into Moses through the cloud and the sea to the definitive point where Christians are saved, baptism in Christ through the immersion in water. He compares those two. Now, his warning to the Corinthians was that even though the Israelites were safe, you know, they went back to disbelief and idolatry and all the evils that was there, and they died in the desert. So the Corinthians, they should be very careful not to repeat that mistake. And that's what Paul was trying to get them to understand. Now, the point I'm trying to make for this message is this. There was a definite point, a dividing line between safety and loss. There was a dividing line there. There was a point. You know, for the Israelites, it was the baptism in the Red Sea as it parted around them, you know, to let them go through. For Paul's readers, you know, his baptism into Jesus that allowed them um, to pass from life to death. You know, those who refused to pass through the cloud and, and see, they were killed. It was um, definitely a dividing line for life and death. Folks, there's definitely some dividing lines in history that we need to understand. Another example is this, the baptism of John. Let's look at his. Now, John the Baptist, as you know, he was the last Old Testament prophet. And his particular um, task was to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. That was his sole job at this point in time, as we see in Luke, the first chapter, verse 17. Well, his baptism was the dividing line between those who accepted his message and those who were preparing, to, um, preparing for the appearance of Jesus Christ and those who did not. That was it. Luke, the seventh chapter, in verse 29 and 30, says, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, um, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's um, purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Now, I want you to take good note here. Note that the Bible says that the dividing line was the baptism of John. It wasn't the intention to be baptized. It wasn't the agreement that John's baptism was a good thing. It was not even the belief that John's message was true. Acceptance or rejection of God's counsel or his will was decided at baptism. And that was the dividing line between those who did what God wanted and those who didn't. There was a definite dividing line there. You know, this is the reason Jesus himself was baptized by John. He knew where that line was. Let's look at another example. Let's look at the baptism of Jesus. Mark 16, 16. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has not believed will be condemned. And then in Matthew 28 and verses 18 and 19, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, the baptism of Jesus is the final dividing line established by God. That's the final line that's established by God. Immersion in water in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and the reception of the Holy Spirit. 
is the true dividing line which all the others pointed to or at least was a shadow of, you see. Now, Peter rose up and he preached to thousands who had gathered together in Jerusalem for that Pentecost feast. There was thousands of people there and he was preaching and he drew that dividing line that has remained since and will remain until Jesus returns. Folks, that is the dividing line there. That's the last one in Acts 2, verse 38 through 41. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified, and he kept on urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So here's the story. On this day, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people responded to the message, and they aligned themselves with Jesus Christ through baptism. Now, Obviously, there were more than 3,000 people there, you know, but only 3,000 made the decision to cross the line with Jesus Christ. Um, these people, along with many others before them and since them and to this day, they understood that baptism is the dividing line between so many essential blessings. And I've mentioned some already this morning. You know, the dividing line between destruction and life for the people in Noah's day, or slavery and freedom in Moses' day, or guilt or forgiveness at John's calling, or salvation or condemnation, you know, by Jesus. Listen, these are not just um, some of the references, you know, or these are just some of the references because there's many of them. You know, we don't have time to go over all of them, but there's many references that really reinforce the idea that baptism is the dividing line established by God for those he accepts and those he rejects, for those who have his blessings and for those who do not. For an example here, in Acts 22 and verse 16, those whose sins were washed away and those whose sins were not. In Acts 2.38 and Acts 5.32, um, those who possess the Holy Spirit and those who do not. In Romans 6.3 and Galatians 3.27, those who are in Christ and those who are not. John 3.5 uh, and Colossians 1.13, those who are in the kingdom of God and those who are not. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, those who are in the body of Christ and those who are not. The same verse tells us by one spirit, they were all baptized into one body there. Folks, what I'm trying to tell you is here, <clears throat> the Bible is very clear, very clear. Baptism separates for all eternity um, those who will share eternal life with Jesus Christ from those who will endure eternal suffering without him. It's clear about that. There is a dividing line. You know, I understand this is not a popular idea. In no way, shape, fashion, or form, this is not a popular idea in this day of political correctness. You know, because they don't like absolute. Political correct people don't like absolutes. You know, 
you know, they're definitely um, saved or there's some definitely lost. They don't like to hear that term, you know, and there's this unmistakable line that divides them forever, the saved from the lost. This is not popular. It's not easy. It's not comforting, but it's true. Absolutely true. And because it's true, it moves us to consider and reconsider some important questions of our lives. Folks, if it's in the Bible and it's there, if it's a thus saith the Lord, we really don't have an opinion on it. It's there. It's true. We accept it or we reject it. That's the dividing line. We accept it or we reject it. Some of the questions to consider. Is it okay to establish this dividing line we're talking about? Well, of course it is, because the Bible establishes it. The Bible has it there. You know, people are, today, people are, are afraid to be called narrow-minded or legalistic or uncaring or judgmental. We're afraid of those terms. We don't like to be called that. And generally, people who accuse us of this they do so because they don't want to deal with the line that God has established. So you know what they do then? They attack the messenger. They don't want to attack God, but they attack the messenger then. Folks, the line is already there. It's very clear. It's very defined. We're simply taking our stand on the side that God commands all men and women to take, and that is obedience. That's it. You know, the teaching that a person is saved only when they're immersed, in other words, baptized uh, in Jesus' name, you know, that's not just a Church of Christ thing. That's a Bible thing. Understand that. You know, there's so many people say, oh, you're one of those Church of Christ people. You believe that unless you're immersed, you cannot go to heaven. It's like, well, that's what the Bible says. Folks, it's not just a Church of Christ thing, and don't let people label you that way. That's a God thing. It's in the scriptures. Look at it. You see, um, when people reject or they ridicule this, they reject the word of God, not us. We're just messengers here. Our job is to keep the line where it is, not apologize for it, not move it. We can't. You see, another question. Is it okay to verify someone's baptism before accepting them as a Christian or before accepting them as a member of Christ's body, the church? Well, of course it is. That's the answer. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he even did this. There's an example here in Acts 19. You know, he learned from them that they had been baptized correctly, talking about immersion by water, um, but for the wrong reason. You know, they were baptized into John the Baptist baptism long um, after it had been replaced by Jesus' baptism. Um, so there was a problem there. So he questioned their baptism there because he knew that it was the dividing line. And when he learned um, that it was done incorrectly, he baptized all of them again, you know, this time for the right reason. Now, these men and women, they were sincere they were zealous, they were spiritual, and they thought they were okay, but they were not. Only when Paul rebaptized them were they in line with God's command. 
we don't have the right to change the line to suit our feelings or our traditions. But we do have the right to point out where that line is to those who are mistaken. You see, you know, the devil tries to get you to act according to your feelings. God wants you to act according to his word. And there's a big difference here. Now, I'm sure that the Ephesians that Paul rebaptized didn't criticize him for caring enough to make sure they were okay. Third question, is it okay to check my own baptism? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, some people, they think that maybe they're being traitors to their own family or being childish if they examine their own baptism. You know, they believe, and of course incorrectly, but they believe that by re-examining their baptism, they're rejecting or they're condemning family members or former teachers who originally taught them. But folks, what they're really doing is searching for the truth and then obeying the truth for themselves. That's what they're doing. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, if we learn that Jesus' words is in conflict with what we've been taught originally, we have to go with what Jesus taught. It's not a question of loving our family less. It's a question of loving Jesus more, you see. If we don't do what's right, there's absolutely no hope to convince those that we love to do it either. And we simply then, we just share in their mistakes and we don't do anything about it. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, the person that's telling you that you're being foolish or you're being childish for re-examining your baptism, it's Satan, not God. Satan will do everything he can to block you from doing the will of God. And you've heard me say this over and over again. He's good at what he does. He's very good at what he does. Your soul is the most precious possession. And examine everything that affects it. It's wise, it's spiritual, and it's biblical. Something we need to do. If your baptism is okay, then you can match your experience to the New Testament you know, you can even undergo Paul's examination, you know, and not change because you know you're okay. If, on the other hand, you're not lined up with God's dividing line, maybe you feel defensive or you feel unsure or you've got nagging doubts or you unco you're uncomfortable. You know, if that's your experience, then you should seriously question and reconsider your baptism. Folks, this is serious business here. This is the dividing line between heaven and hell for everyone. Now, folks, as I close this morning, I want you to know that I'm not here to make you doubt your salvation. That's not the purpose of this message. It's not to make you doubt your own salvation. But I'm here to establish the idea in your mind and in your hearts that the Bible does establish a dividing line between lost and saved and baptism by its language, its context, and its intent is that line. And we've seen it from the beginning of time all the way to now. 
So please accept this teaching from the Lord. And if you need to obey it, obey it. We don't know how long we have left on this earth. None of us do. And folks, that is the dividing line. You're going to stand on one side or the other. There's not going to be any maybe. It's going to be yes or no. Yay or nay. Black or white. There's no one in the middle. The only thing in the middle of the road is yellow lines and dead skulls. That's it. Folks, if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, it means what it says, and it says what it means. Say amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for making it so clear to us where the dividing line is. Folks, help us to be able to make it clear to those that we meet, our loved ones and friends and even folks we don't know. Help us to make it very clear to them so that they can make a wise choice which side of the line they want to be on. Jesus, uh, we thank you for blessing us in so many ways. In Jesus' name, amen.